Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, guys, we're back. We've taken a little sermon talkback hiatus. We, we didn't do a talkback during the generosity series. We didn't do one last week, but mm. I am uh, excited about talking about last week's sermon and this week's sermon uh, with two of the greats, two of the Christ Covenant greats. The Dadcast. It's, it's, the Dadcast is back. Dadcast is back. It's good to be back. Blake, you're, you know, you're like a, you got the three kids now. Mm. Kennedy's what, five months old? Five months old. So you're like an old, I mean, all your kids are getting old now. Graham. Teach me your ways, Blake. Uh, when's, when's little baby? When's, <laughs> Sometime February. When's William Blake Thompson coming into this world? Or her, if it's a girl. Um, well, we know gosh, it's a boy though. Willa. <laughs> We don't know. Willa Blake Thompson. Willa. William. Willa Blake. Billy. It's William or, or Willa. I like those. I like it too. I like it too. Things to consider. Well, of course, last week uh, we were in this series that we're calling Come Now Long Expected Jesus, and we're really looking at the offices of Christ. It's been kind of a fun study so far, I think. We're, we're kind of taking an Old Testament passage and then a New Testament passage and looking at how the New Testament answers the Old Testament. We, we've been talking about how the Old Testament is pregnant, um, just like your wife. I know, yeah. I yeah, know what that's like, like from afar. Actually, I don't know what that's like. Well, you do <laughs> kind of know it's like there's this anticipation. It's, oh, yeah. it's like there's the something going on, but it, you haven't seen the fullness of it. Mm-hmm. And that is what the Old Testament is like. There's yeah. there's all this tension in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. Yeah. And Growing you, tension. Yeah. Evident. Yeah. You know that something is coming. The Old Testament certainly isn't satisfying. I guess that's the, Yeah. Uh, I think last week I gave the illustration of a play at intermission. And you mm. know, you ever, Paige and I got to go to a play a few weeks ago and in a good play. Which one? Uh, we went to see To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh man. It was awesome. But anyway, um, a good play at intermission, at the end of the first act, it's just, it's the high point, right? Mm. There's so much tension. All the storylines are still untied up. And that's kind of the way the Old Testament ends. And I guess the three storylines that we're tracing through this series are prophet, priest, and then of course we're getting to king. Mm -hmm. Um, So last week we talked about prophet and our two points for all of these um, ideas are your need for and then the fulfillment of or the true. So we last week we talked about the need for the prophet and then the true prophet. Of course, the true prophet is Jesus. Jesus comes. So what we're celebrating at Christmas, the one who's fulfilling all these things has come. Now, even still, we're still kind of in the middle of the play, right? We haven't reached the end of the play yet. We're in the second half. We're starting to see what resolution looks like. But of course, we won't fully experience the resolution of the reign of Christ mm-hmm. um, until the new heavens, new earth, until Christ is is fully reigning. Though at least we have now the answer to, but we know where we're going. But last week we talked about our need for a prophet, and we said that our need for a prophet is if, if there is no prophet, um, if if no one is speaking on behalf of 
God, then, then there's no anchor of truth. And, and everybody does what um, is right in their own eyes. Uh, and one of the things I talked about last week, too, is everybody creates their own narrative. Uh, we're living in a world of fake news, right? And why, why do we live in a world of fake news? Is it because people like Rupert Murdoch are, you know, greedy people? Or is it because people like fake news? People mm -hmm. like the mm -hmm. news or the story or the narrative that perpetuates their own worldview. Right. And, and so, and I said, people always do that, right? Mm -hmm. People always do that. People of Israel did that, right? I, I didn't talk about this in the sermon last week, but I wanted to. Let's hear it. I just ran out of time. That's what the talkback's for, right? Yeah. Uh, remember the passage, and I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the particular passage, but it's the passage where um, the people of Israel are out in the wilderness, and they say, back in Egypt, you know, we had pots of meat to oh, yeah. eat. Yeah. And, and so they're, they're, they're fantasizing about how great it was back in Egypt. Well, of course it wasn't like that. They were slaves. They hated right. Egypt. They, yeah. The Egyptians were working them hard. But they had created a narrative that back in Egypt, things were all good. And I think like people do the same thing today. Sure. I mean, actually, what they actually do that same narrative of back in the good old days, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, things were better. Those were the golden years. Let's get back to um, that time. And um, so anyway, I think it's very easy to create different narratives that, that I think cloud us from understanding what is true, which is why we need a prophet. We need someone who speaks on behalf of God, the source of truth. And that's what the prophets were always doing in Israel. They were kind of bringing them back to God's word, bringing them away from the false narratives of the nations that existed around them and bringing them back into the true story that God was telling through them. You know, Jason, you kind of got into this on uh, yesterday's or during yesterday's sermon, you spoke about C.S. Lewis and anchors of truth. And you said, um, how do you know the world is evil? That's kind of a question that we should ask ourselves to kind of understand morality. And, uh, you know, one thing I was thinking about in sort of this secular world, is there a way to rationalize morality outside of God? Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, so yeah, the C.S. Lewis quote is really good, isn't yeah, it? He it's says, great. I, I used to not believe in God because the world was evil. And then he's and then he says, but then I was like, where did I get this idea mm -hmm. of evil? And and I think that speaks to uh, a lot of people. I mean, that that probably is, I don't know, but probably the most common argument against the existence of God. If there was a God, why no, why, why is there evil? Why do we see such evil in How the world? How can a good God who is all sovereign yeah. allow evil in the world? Yeah, so that's probably the number one argument, but then you have to step back and say, okay, well, it, what is evil? Do I even, like, what is evil? How do you even know what evil is? How can you even say uh, that? You know, somebody uh, um, sent me a tweet that I thought was interesting, and they said that, you know, the tweet was basically saying, people on the right have lost the moral high ground mm -hmm. um, because they've endorsed this president who, you know, cheated mm -hmm. on his wife with a porn star while she was pregnant. Yeah. And they haven't even acknowledged it. And then, then somebody could say in reply to that tweet, well, people on the left have lost, um, have lost moral high ground too. You know, I mean, just look at, you know, just so many different things from the progressive movement that, you could argue speaks against human yeah. rights. So anyway, it's, it's interesting that everybody wants the moral high ground, right? Mm. But you have to ask the question, well, where does it even come from? 
And of course, as Christians, we believe that it comes from the Lord, that, that we have a true prophet, that God has spoken what is right and what is wrong and what is good. But if that's the case, and this is the thing that nobody wants, everybody wants to be able to claim the moral high ground, but nobody wants to be accountable to that mm. that morality right. right nobody actually wants to have to live by an external morality that's not their own yeah. everybody wants their own morality and and of course i gave the illustration yesterday of the sign you know no coffee right. in the auditorium i was drinking coffee while you're mentioning that i felt i had a hard time drinking coffee after you mentioned that i was like is well, this a real Derek, sign Derek bong literally uh as i was saying you can either blatantly disobey this song sign he looked right at you literally <laughs> taking a sip he was like <laughs> I am going this to a big you know, sip too. blatantly disobey yeah. this. But, um, but yeah, so we said there's five kind of responses. If, if there is a revealed will of God, if God has spoken, um, and of course I use the sign as an illustration, but you can either obey the revelation, you can blatantly disobey the revelation, which obviously with God, it's hard to do that. You might could do that for a night or two. Like, I know what God has said, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I feel like, people eventually just lose their nerve on that one. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that most people do is, number three, four, or five, yeah. they either A, hide, they live a life of hypocrisy, right? They, they act like they're obeying God when everybody's looking, but then they have some deep, dark, hidden sins or whatever. Number four they do is they change the word of God. They say, you know what, I don't think it really says that. It really says this. Or the fifth thing they do is they remove uh, the idea of God. They get rid of the idea of God. There is no God. I'm not accountable uh, mm-hmm. to these things. Um, but if there really is a God who really has spoken, if there really is a true prophet, then I think the next thought is like, you need a true priest. That's right. And Yeah, yeah and that's, the, that's what I think is you know very interesting about the different offices of Christ. The necessity of a prophet and the very words that the prophets of the Old Testament say necessitate the need for a priest. Right, yeah. It's the prophets speaking to man on behalf of God, and now we need man, because of what the prophet has said, needs somebody to stand between him and God as a priest. And so um, I love that, and, and I love like just the narrative of the Old Testament uh, in general. You see all of these these needs, these roles that God is playing and, and how he's displaying himself um, through the sacrificial system, which you talked about some yesterday, uh, which I thought was very helpful. And then you see not only um, is there a need for a priest, but the, the, the very prophet himself would be the priest who would also be the sacrifice and, and God's now glory. is the resurrected king, which is yeah. where we're going to. But right. Yeah, it is interesting. I'll be honest, Blake. I don't. I've thought about a lot of this before, but I don't know that I've ever thought as deeply as I am now during this sermon series about how all of these offices really go together, oh. uh, and how you know, obviously, one precedes and is dependent upon uh, the the other. Uh, but you asked a question, and we never even got to your question. Yeah. What are What are the other anchors? Like, can there be other? Ed- are there any other educated views on moral anchors? Like, of course, we've people that are working in all kinds of industries and whatnot. And, you know, are people even thinking about their kind of moral anchors? And, and Yeah, I mean, I think the, the mantra of our secular society is moral relativism, which means the anchor is you as an individual. You yeah. are your own anchor for your own morality. 
and um, as you mean it's like saying, my own truth, like it's my yeah, truth. Yeah, every, everybody controls their it's own truth theory. narrative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. more. Yeah, what what is your truth? You know, it's we hear that often. I I think that yeah. I mean, so I do think this is one of the hard parts about being a committed atheist. Um, you know, I think the hardest thing about being a committed atheist is you have to be committed to a worldview that doesn't really satisfy. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that in a like, you know, Christian braggy kind of way, but I mean, there's just so many holes in an atheistic worldview because if more relativism or human relativism is true, mm-hmm. it's obviously your, mor- your morality is incredibly limited. It's only limited to what is relative or to what is functional or what you control. If you, if you determine your own morality, for example, then your morality is limited to your authority. And how much authority do you really have? Right. You're only going to live 80 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you only have so much, you know, authority in your yeah. life. And it, and it was a very lie that Adam believed. Right. He, he was given what was life, and he um, chose to know more. He wanted to taste the fruit of the That's tree right. of knowledge yeah. of good and evil. It was knowledge. It was authority that he was That's right. um, pursuing in that. It's a, it's a, a longstanding human problem. Right. And so, I, yeah, I just think that if you're if you're listening to this or if you're friends with somebody who kind of comes from an atheistic perspective that is one of the great problems of a truly secular worldview is that there is no anchor there is no now what atheistic people will say so if you ask an atheist person like like i have a friend who's an attorney who's an atheist okay mm-hmm. Well, so that's a weird job, right? Because what does an attorney do? You appeal to the law, to the law yeah. right? And so I've asked him, like, what is the anchor of the law? Like, why do we even have the law? And, you know, what his answer is, and I think this is the, I mean, Dawkins gives this answer. I mean, this is a very common uh, atheistic worldview perspective answer. But he basically just says, like, over time, we've evolved not only to our species, you know, physically have mm-hmm. evolved, obviously, but we've evolved in our understanding of social sciences also Mm -hmm. and we understand that these laws are functional they're helpful they're good for society um so for example like why did the left criticize donald trump for cheating on his wife when she was married because they they would argue that um that is functionally marriage is a good thing now it's interesting Mm -hmm. in in kind of as a result of the sexual revolution uh people are saying that you know according to at least you know some sort of evolutionary thought we shouldn't hold to monogamy right we should try to mm-hmm. impregnate as many women as we can you know i mm-hmm. mean that's that's what we see in the animal kingdom you mm-hmm. don't see something like uh marriage and monogamy and you know mm-hmm. steadiness so i think what i'm saying is even these laws that we that seem so recognizable that seem so right that people are appealing to to get the moral high ground now um i think people are realizing if there is no god it's pretty empty. And so why not just go with whatever? Why not go with survival of the fittest? Which survival of the fittest is kind of the ultimate idea of, you know, humanistic authority, right? Right, Just become the fittest, get as much power as you can, and then you can determine your own morality, you can determine your own way. So I guess the answer to your question is, Graham, there's not a satisfying answer. Uh. There's only... There, you're, you're only appealing to authority, and if humans are the highest authority, then the authority is limited to the life 
and or power sequence that that human may have, which mm. isn't really that satisfying. And, and we all like functionally have a choice in this. Like we choose what narrative we will believe. And, you know, an atheist would criticize Christians, I would think, um, saying, well, you know, faith, you know, you, you really need evidence for your authority. Uh, but in reality, um, everyone is placing faith in some authority. Either That's right. that is humanity, either that is a higher being, an intelligent designer who is good, a God of the Bible, um, whatever. We're, we're all taking a leap of faith in our authority in our prophet, whomever we look to. Right. And, and, and I think that's one of the arguments, though, that Paul's even making in Romans 1. Yes, we put our authority in Scripture, but I think Paul's saying, look, like, the evidences of God, it may not be what we call special revelation, but general revelation is available to everyone, mm -hmm. which is, I think, why the Bible also says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Like, it's... It, it's foolish to not recognize that there's not some mm -hmm. sort of anchor above um, above where we are. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, this is kind of getting into something else we talked about yesterday. Yeah, I remember when uh, you were speaking about the importance of a priest or, or the importance of morality. Actually, you, you know, if you uh, if you it's established in your mind, I guess that there is a greater morality, and that God is the one who's established this morality, and He is the standard. And uh, eventually you have to see that you need a priest. You even said that, you know, you mentioned Bloomberg, if he were to stand up against, you know, the law, then, you know, he, he thinks he could get through, but certainly I can't. Um, and so you, but you mentioned these two things here. You said without a priest, uh, you either resent God or you neuter God. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm trying to get at. That, yeah. That's what humanism is. It's a neutering of God. It's yeah. a it's a taking that higher authority and and, you're really making God to look like you. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people wouldn't mentally go so far to say, I am God, mm -hmm. but they would just say, God agrees with me, right? I mean, it's, it's, you've, you've fashioned a God in your image rather than mm -hmm. becoming, um, you know, trying to strive to live in the image of God, to, to be like God. Um, and I think that's neutering God, or you'll resent God. If you, if you really have such a high view of God, if you have an understanding of God's holiness and God's power, you'll realize, like Martin Luther did, man, I sin all the time, mm -hmm. you know? And so you'll feel so guilty and so wretched over our sin, which we should feel absent of a priest. We should feel, and it should lead us to dependence on our priest, who is Jesus. But, you know, Luther, without kind of a knowledge of his true high priest— um, before, before these, before the coin had really dropped for him, mm. what was his response? Well, his, his response was pretty appropriate. It was to punish himself. It was to put himself through misery because he realized he was sinning against a holy God. And so, you know, he realized that he, he was making himself the sacrificial lamb. Um, and, you know, obviously everything changed for Luther when he realized that Jesus made himself on behalf of Luther and on behalf of anybody who believed the true high priest, the true lamb of God, and that in Christ our sins can be forgiven. Yeah. But without that, you're forced, you can't, what, what, are your, what are your other options? You can't be as holy as God, so you can try and try and try and try and be exhausted. In fact, one of the persons that was being baptized yesterday said that, I'm tired of trying to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to realize yeah. that my only hope is in Jesus. Or you'll neuter God, and I'm just saying that you'll, you'll calm God down a bit. Yeah. You know, that's the, 
you know, that's the illustration I'm trying to give there. You'll just say, look, look you know, God's a little too intense. Let's mm-hmm. just, let's be reasonable with what holiness really should look like here. Mm-hmm. So. so Jason, um, so positionally, like when we trust in Christ as our true priest who, you know, lays his own life down for us, his righteous life down for us as sinners, uh, we, we positionally by faith understand we are justified through the work of this mm-hmm. priest. Help us understand how we deal with our shame. Because, I don't, you know, we're positionally justified, but then in our being, we, we still carry shame because sure. of the decisions, the sin. That we know that we're not we, perfect. That we know we're not perfect. How do we, how do, we deal with that? Yeah, so it, I, I like to think about this, and um, I can't remember even where I first read this, but um, this, this idea of, like, the layers of the bondage of our sin, right? And so there's the objective layer of bondage, which outside of Christ, objectively, we're condemned, mm-hmm. okay? Outside of Christ, like, you're, you're you know, I said this yesterday, the Baptist, you're going to drown underneath the weight of God's wrath, Okay. And that's true. Like that objectively in God's court, which is the only court that really matters, objectively we are condemned. But obviously, as you say, in Christ, positionally, objectively, we have been redeemed. We have been counted righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. But then the second layer of our bondage is what I call the subjective layer of bondage. And that is the layer where you're actually having to believe um, what God says about you to be true. Like Mm -hmm. subjectively, do you believe that you are free of your sin in Christ? Do you believe that you're a son of God in Christ? And that's why we always talk about as Christians preaching the gospel to ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're, We're overcoming that subjective layer of bondage. Do you believe that it's not because of the good that you have done, but only because of the blood of Jesus that you are made right in Christ? And and as much as we, quote unquote, believe that, believing that and applying that to our life is is really hard. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones gave this great illustration of uh, a slave in the American South in like 1865, or 1875, sorry, running into their old slave owner, okay? Mm-hmm. So they'd been freed objectively from slavery for 10 years, but subjectively, even though that person didn't own them anymore, they still had a subjective power over them because mm-hmm. they'd been so used to being a slave to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really helpful illustration. And that's what our sin can do, right? Our shame can kind of come back and haunt us and say, look at you, who are you? Right you're really this person and we have to continue to believe who we really are and then the third layer is what i call like the actual layer overcoming like the actual layer of bondage so you have the objective the subjective and then this actual um sanctification the the actual act of being made holy where god's goal for you in christ through the ministry of the holy spirit is to actually become as righteous as god says you are Mm-hmm. And that's really the goal of the Christian life. And, and there should be progressive sanctification that's happening in your life, right? I mean, you should begin to have the desires that Christ would have, right? Not perfectly, but those should continually be the echoes mm-hmm. of your heart. And, and how does that happen? Well, it happens through, I believe, beholding the glory of God 
so often through spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. We behold the glory of God as we seek God in his word and prayer and worship and service. Beholding the glory of God through spiritual disciplines, we are actually transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. And of course, that will be complete Mm -hmm. when we see Jesus face to face. So beholding the beauty of the king. Yeah, the over, other over and Jesus. over and over, yeah. over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think beholding the beauty of the priest and loving the mm-hmm. words of the king or the, the words of the prophet. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's beholding Jesus in all of his fullness. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What's, what's kind of interesting is to look back. You've done this thing where we're looking at, you know, an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage, kind of seeing the fulfillment in prophet, priest, and king. And especially in a season of, you know, thanksgiving and blessing and gifts and whatnot. I mean, I just, you know, outside of, of course, of the gift of Jesus Christ, the time that we're alive, the the time that we live in redemptive history is just truly remarkable that we can look back and see the promises of God fulfilled. And I mean, if that doesn't make you like worship or at least feel blessed and, and it's just an incredible time to be alive. Yeah. I mean, God has revealed so much to us. Now there's two sides of that coin though, right? Like Jesus says, uh, to people at Capernaum, right? That saw his work. There's accountability. In the yeah, sense, yeah. Yeah. That saw his work that saw so much. He said, you know, it will be better for Sodom on the day of judgment than it will be for you. Well, it was pretty bad for Sodom on the day of judgment. And so I would almost say like for us, I mean, obviously we're, you know, Jesus isn't walking in among us, but in one sense, he is by the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. filling the life of believers that we're around all the time. And so how accountable are we? We have God's word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are part of a healthy church. We see Christians around all the time. And more than that, I mean, we even have like things like podcasts. I mean, where are we in redemptive history yeah. that we have access to, um, to tools that help us to think about the things of God all the time. So um, let's continue to stir one another along to be faithful and to submit to Christ as the true prophet, the true priest. Mm-hmm. Moses didn't have the sermon talk back. <laughs> and the but true we do. That's right. Oh, man. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Dadcast, Dadcast number two. Back. Um, thanks for joining us, and I really do appreciate you listening. Again, if you ever have any questions, uh, you can feel free to use the text to pastor line. Uh, you can tweet at us. You can email us. We'd love to respond to any questions you have. So for Blake Rogers, dad of three, mm-hmm. Graham Thompson, dad Yay! of one to be, and JCD is also dad of three. Thanks for listening.